Welcome to our OddSmart podcast series in association with PGM Investments. Here, we highlight how investors can navigate today's challenging circumstances and better understand the opportunities created by the new normal. With ultra-low yields, this year's unprecedented volatility and uncertain growth prospects globally, investors struggle with a confusing landscape. So, what are the options they should consider? I'm Valentina Romeo, Deputy Editor of CityWire Engage, and today we're joined by Michael Collins, Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager for Pigeon Fixed Income. In this episode, we will discuss today's fixed income market and why credit investing should be an attractive opportunity for active managers to add alpha. Thanks, Mike, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great. My first question for you is, with ultra-low yields, low growth, and massive monetary stimulus, what role do you see fixed income playing in portfolios? Yeah, uh, Valentina, this is one of the questions that we ponder uh, intently uh, within our own shop, uh, whether fixed income will continue to provide a hedge uh, to equities and other risk assets uh, like it largely has over the last few decades. Uh, And certainly uh, with rates approaching zero and in in many countries in Europe, certainly and in Japan, uh, rates in negative territory, you have to think some of those hedging qualities, uh, the upside you'll get in fixed income in a flight to quality will almost naturally be more limited. And and we do believe that. So so we are not necessarily uh, condoning a strategy where investors own a lot of very high quality government bonds, think of JGBs and bunds and treasuries because the yields are in many cases negative. In all cases, the real yields relative to inflation are deeply negative. So you're effectively locking in a loss relative to inflation over the longer term. Um, I know we'll talk later about the credit markets, but we think that that's where the value is. Uh, I think you do lose a little bit uh, in terms of the correlation benefit. Uh, but again, if you think over the long term, uh, you have to put your money where you're going to end up with the, the most value o- over the long term. Uh, but that being said, I mean, I'm looking at U.S. rates, right? And the markets are actually giving us a gift right now of high U.S. interest rates. I know that'll sound like a shock to, to U.S. investors, but to foreign investors, uh, they certainly see the value. The relative yield differentials between some of those other government interest rates and U.S. rates is actually really high, and it has gone up a lot. Uh, so for European and, and Asian investors, you can buy U.S. high-quality bonds and hedge them back and still pick up a reasonable yield. And we're looking at forward rates in the U.S., which is a little esoteric term, but what it means is what is the market thinking the rates are going to be over the long term? And the forward interest rates in the U.S. are over 2% now. So the markets are basically telling us that ultimately the money market rate, the Fed funds rate, will be close to or above 2% on average um, you know, over the long term. And, and, and we don't buy that at all. So, so we actually think if you do get another big risk off here, uh, in the markets, let's say another big spike in cases and a double dip recession, which we're actually seeing to some extent in Europe already. Um, interest rates, especially U.S. interest rates and 30-year long maturity U.S. interest rates actually still have quite a bit of scope to, to fall here. And at this point, uh, do central banks have anything left in the toolbox 
to further support the economy? And what happens when stimulus winds down and how will this affect credit markets? Yeah, we saw Madame Lagarde the other day at her press conference and Jerome Powell at, at his press conference. And uh, clearly they're struggling um, with the notion of, of limited ammunition at the central banks. And they are both pushing hard really on the fiscal side. Right. And, and that is the, the next wave of, of stimulus. And, and granted, we've had a lot of fiscal stimulus uh, around the world to fight this pandemic. Uh, but I think there is more to come. I think it has to be a two pronged effort on the monetary and fiscal side. Uh, so that's really, really point one. Point two is on the monetary side, uh, there is some ammunition. I mean, obviously, bond buying has been a, a big effort uh, in Japan in, in Europe and in the U.S. at, at the Fed. Uh, but I think there's a scope there to continue to do that uh, in pretty big size. Uh, on the interest rate front, it's more challenging, right? I mean, obviously, in Europe, the deposit rate is deeply negative. Bund yields are even more negative, so you have an inverted curve. Uh, on the U.S. side, and even places like in the Bank of England and, and places like Australia and, and Canada, uh, there's more and more talk, more and more possibility of using this forward guidance, which basically is another way of saying we're going to put rates at zero and we are going to keep them at zero for a really, really long time. They've already admitted that mistake by issuing a new monetary policy framework that basically has stated that if we get really low unemployment rate again, we are not necessarily going to preemptively raise rates. We will keep them at zero for a much longer time uh, than in the past. So that's a very powerful tool. And the other is unfortunately, negative rates, right? And there are many countries, including the US, that haven't gone into negative territory. And I would say that's a low probability um, tool, mm -hmm. but, but it is something that, that can be tapped uh, in, a, in a worst case scenario. Um, what are your views on fallen angels now? What, what happens, really happens when they fall? And uh, will they go back to their initial rating? Yeah, so fallen angels historically, believe it or not, even though it sounds like a scary term, um, as a niche part of the financial markets have historically generated some of the best risk adjusted total returns of almost any asset class in the world, right? And it's yeah. really a function of, of these are companies that were investment grade. They tend to be large diversified companies, albeit with a lot of debt. And when they get downgraded to below investment grade or high yield or junk, as we call it, uh, what happens is you have a lot of forced selling. There are a lot of insurance companies, pension plans, big investors, and we manage a lot of their money that have a clear line in the sand between investment grade and high yield. And when they go to a high yield, uh, they have to get out. And think of all the passive index funds uh, that are forced to sell as soon as they drop out of the investment grade index. Yeah. So typically those bond prices go below fair value. Uh, and then these companies, because of their size and diversity, have a lot of flexibility to sell assets in some cases. Uh, and most times they tend to stabilize and they focus on survival. And ultimately, many of them do, Valentina, get uh, upgraded back to investment grade. But even the ones that stay in that double B rating category, uh, their bonds tend to tend to recover. And in this cycle, that's certainly been the case in a big way. Many of them were in the energy sector and you've seen energy prices rebound. You've seen tremendous consolidation in the energy space. And the other uh, thing we have supporting fallen angels in this cycle is the Federal Reserve. 
right? Mm -hmm. They have actually explicitly um, started a program where they can buy the bonds of these companies that were previously investment grade and have been downgraded to high yield. Uh, so that has also bolstered the case for fallen angels. Um, so the good news is they've done really well. The bad news is we're not seeing a lot more downgrades here, right? Companies, even at that triple B rating level, the lowest rung of investment grade, have done everything they can to, to maintain those investment grade ratings. They are really reticent to lose that investment grade and go into the high yield market because it's just a smaller market and it's harder for them to refinance all of that debt. Uh, so we're actually like that triple B, double B rated crossover space within the corporate bond markets. And that's where we're actually um, putting, putting a, an increasing amount of our fixed income assets. Yeah, so following up uh, on, on what you just said, what opportunities have emerged or other opportunities have emerged from the dis dispersion we've seen in credit? I know you call this the golden age of credit, referring to a corporate focus on liquidity that should benefit bondholders more than equity investors. Can you just tell us more about this and uh, will this be true going forward or is it just a short-term trend while companies prepare to go back in growth mode? So let me, let me expand on the, credit, the golden age of credit part first. Um, what happens is when you, when you end one credit cycle and start a new one, which is what we're going through right now, we're transitioning into a new cycle. At the end of the old cycle, you have a big spike in defaults, earnings and EBITDA or cash flow crashes, leverage goes up and companies change their mentality from, from, from trying to expand shareholder returns to one where they're trying to focus on survival, liquidity, uh, cash flow, they're cutting expenses, they're cutting capbacks, they're cutting, cutting dividends and cutting share repurchases and trying to make sure that they hold on to their ratings and survive, right? So, so what that means is their, their motives are more aligned with the, the interests of bondholders, right? That's what we want. We want them to pay down the debt. And even though leverage has increased here and, and companies have piled on a lot of debt, much of it is being supported or offset by cash that is sitting on their balance sheet, right? They have hoarded cash. And as the economy has recovered here and as earnings have, have recovered much faster than we would have, have guessed, uh, and as we get a vaccine and go into uh, next year and you see the, the broader economy continue to recover, these companies are going to increasingly generate free cash flow. And they're going to use a lot of that cash flow to reduce the debt they've piled on. They are going to delever, right? That is really actually a, a, a tailwind for credit investors. So sure. the next one, two or three years uh, is going to be, a, I think, a really good environment for credit. It's not a permanent situation, right? These cycles happen. And ultimately, in three, five, seven years, companies will probably, again, be exhibiting really risky, aggressive, expansionary, shareholder-friendly behavior. But for now, we're really in the sweet spot of the credit cycle for bondholders. Two, on the, on the dispersion side, I mean, there are going to continue to be challenged uh, credits, challenged industries, as you're seeing this big market share shift for every winner out there. Think of the tech and telecom and streaming and, and supermarket and consumer staples and, and co video conferencing companies. They are all doing really well. But for every one of them, there's a company or industry and travel and leisure and hospitality uh, that is just getting killed. Right. So so our job as active managers with our hundred plus credit research team is really to discern between the winners and losers and shift portfolios away from the losers into the winners. And we've already been very active uh, in doing that. More recently, we are actually starting to 
uh, focus on some of those more cyclical companies. Think of the, the lodging and gaming and um, restaurant, and even in some cases, the, the airlines, where these companies have a lot of liquidity in some cases, and they're issuing secure debt. And ultimately, in six, 12 months from now, those sectors will participate in the recovery. And we want to be on board with that. And, and there's still value in some of those bonds. You do not want to own uh, a passive um, investment grade fund. You do not want to own a passive high yield portfolio. You do not want to own a passive you know, aggregate bond index portfolio in, in the world we live in right now. Sure. And adding to the recovery uh, positioning that you just mentioned, how are you positioning in light of the results of the uh, U.S. presidential election? And if you see any other risks um, on the horizon for fixed income investors? Yeah, in terms of the election, um, I actually think it was a, a probably a win-win, really. Mm -hmm. The Democrats are, are happy that it looks like uh, Joe Biden will, will be the next uh, president of the United States. The Republicans, I think, are probably pretty excited that they actually uh, look like they're going to hold on to the U.S. Senate and, and actually gain seats in the, in the U.S. House of Representatives. So uh, if anything, it's going to continue to be more of a what we call gridlock or divided government. Mm -hmm. Where, where any solutions, including the next fiscal stimulus package, uh, will not be dominated by one party or another. So I actually think it's a, a really good environment. And obviously, we were concerned about a democratic sweep and the impact, the negative impact it could have on technology, on, on energy, and on healthcare sectors. Uh, but a lot of that risk, I think, is coming off the table. So we're actually probably more encouraged uh, to continue to be pretty aggressive in terms of our credit risk. And we are pretty at a pretty high level of overall credit risk in our portfolios today because of this constructive view. And I think the election has just emboldened us that, that this is the right call over the intermediate term. And uh, any other risks on the horizon? It's, it's all about the economy, right? And, and yeah. clearly the, the virus and, and this double dip we're seeing in places like Europe where we're seeing new lockdowns and even parts of the United States and the Northern States and the Northeast uh, you're seeing a reinsta uh, reinstatement of certain lockdowns and, and curfews. And, and, you know, that is a very regressive policy, meaning the people at the lower end of the income stream get, get hit the hardest. Minorities tend to get hit the hardest in that kind of policy. Let's hope it's really short-lived. Let's hope we, we, you know, change our behavior again as part of this learning process. Let's hope we're getting vaccinated in four five or six months uh, from now. And all we have to do is bridge that gap between now and then. But it can be a, a rough winter, Valentina, you know, and I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about, you know, the shutdowns, the, the double dip uh, economy. Um, and we've been really encouraged by, again, the adaptability of companies uh, to, to change their policies and their products and their, the way they distribute them in this new world. Um, but again, if, if people are sitting at home and, and uh, not spending money, that, that really hurts, again, a lot of companies and industries, small companies and people, and you will see bankruptcies, you know, in small businesses and, and for consumers. So um, that is to me the still the biggest risk is, is we have to get through this next six months. We've got to start vaccinating people. Well, thank you very much again, Mike, for joining us today. My pleasure, Valentina. Thank you for having me. For professional investors only, all investments involve risk, including the possible loss of capital. The views expressed by PGM is not intended to constitute investment advice, were accurate at the time of recording, and are subject to change. 
References to specific securities and their issuers are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Issued by PGM Limited. PGM Limited is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority of the United Kingdom with firm reference number 193418. PGM Limited is authorized to provide services or operate with a passport in various jurisdictions in the EEA. Prudential Financial Incorporated of the United States is not affiliated in any manner with Prudential PLC, Incorporated in the United Kingdom, or with Prudential Assurance Company, a subsidiary of MNG PLC, Incorporated in the United Kingdom.